News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Eye on Health, care for you and your parents. Now, this show was created over two years ago because each day, 10,000 of us are turning 65. And that means by the year 2020, half of us in the state are going to be over the age of 50. So to say that we're going to be experiencing a demographic shift of immense proportions is slightly an understatement. And we're here to be a resource for you in your caregiving journey because you're either a caregiver now, you will be a caregiver, you have been a caregiver, or will be the one receiving the caregiving. There's a few options there, but we're here to help you make the most of those options. I'm Jason Kong, in for Scott Fitzgerald, and this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. And thank you, Cooper Linton, for being a part of this. Happy to be here. And as always, we have our regular presence and host of the show, Nicole Bruno, with Transitions Guiding Lights. Glad to be back this evening. And Nicole, it sounds like uh, we've got Melanie Bunn with us on the show today. We sure do. Melanie Bunn, she is the Dementia Training Specialist with Alzheimer's North Carolina, and she is also nationally known as a speaker and expert on Alzheimer's and related care. But today we are so excited to have Melanie here to talk to us about how to have a successful holiday, both as a caregiver and a care receiver when you're facing the diagnosis of a dementia. Welcome, Melanie. It is so wonderful to be with you, Nicole. So glad to have you here. And I know holidays are really, really stressful for people in general. And then add the caregiving component. We just really amp it up a whole other notch. Right. And I say it can be the the best of times and it can be the worst of times because it can bring out the very best and there can be these loving and poignant moments of recognition and remembrance and reminiscing. And then things cannot be quite so comfortable or lovely. I, I definitely agree. You know, uh, working with families for over 20 years, it really, holidays just to be, tend to be a time where there's a lot of eye opening going on. You know, people are sometimes grieving for a loved one while they're still with us as they face different changes in their health status. Sometimes they're, they're sad about someone who's passed. They're wishing that they could continue traditions and things aren't quite the same. I know that you have some tips to really help the caregiver get through this time and, and with the least amount of stress and hopefully with the best memories. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, there's something I created a few years ago, and it's called Peace for the Holidays. And I like words. I like an acronym, so it's called Peace. And it kind of, each letter kind of gives you a strategy that a caregiver can use um, to make life better for the person who's living with dementia, but also make it a more lovely, joyful, quiet, celebratory um, part of life for the person who's caregiving as well. So talk to us a little bit about how that, how does that work? Okay. Well, I said it's P. So the first letter is P, and P is prioritize. And what that means is really think about what of the family traditions, the family faith traditions are important and really hanging on to the ones that are most meaningful to you and to the person who's living with dementia, and then let go of some of the secondary pieces. So I know, Cooper, Cooper, you've had a recent family caregiving uh, experience that you've gone through, and I I know you did some real special things with your mom during that time. Talk about how you did some prioritization and, and made that special for your whole family to have memories for the future. Well, I think for me, part of prioritizing was actually simplifying, too. What is it that really, out of all the, pardon me, family noise in the holidays, what really mattered? What were those things that were critical, not only uh, to our family, but that 
Uh, in this case, it was my mother who could still participate. What can she still participate in? And so for our family, we, uh, we sat around and read Scripture because while she couldn't speak anymore, she could still hear. Uh, and so we were able to prioritize that for her, prioritize meals, those sorts of things. Is that what you have in mind, uh, Melanie, or am I missing something? That's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what um, I had in mind, is it's really paying attention to the piece that's most important, the piece that's most critical. If the most important thing is to have family together, then you had family together. The most important thing is to have a spiritual connection. You provided that for your, your family as well. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. We found ourselves having to reframe many traditions within new limitations and having to adjust to the capacity that we have and try and not focus on the lost capacities, but more, you know, what can we do now as opposed to what did we used to do that we can't anymore? Right. And that's exactly what the A, we'll skip the education, which is E, but the A is adjust. And it's, it's things like um, if the most important thing about a worship service is music, that maybe someone who can't make it through an entire worship service can be there for the familiar hymns. Um, it also means kind of paying attention to those subtle signs that that person with dementia needs a break from from people, or needs uh, needs a quiet place, or um, needs to be more involved and included. It's kind of paying attention and adjusting and keeping the whole experience fluid. And I think, you know, not only paying attention to when that person with Alzheimer's or related dementia needs a break, but you as a caregiver as well, kind of being mindful and recognizing where your trigger points are and when you're getting overwhelmed, that that's really a time to, to focus on adjusting your own mental well-being. Wouldn't you agree? That is a brilliant point because um, if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't really be there for the rest of the experience, for the rest of the family, for the certainly for the person living with dementia. So, what about that E we skipped? The E is for educate, and particularly with somebody who has dementia, more than likely the person is going to be different this year than they were last year. And for families who were involved or people in the faith community or people in the in your life who were only kind of periodically involved with the person with dementia, helping kind of educate and prepare them for what to expect and then how to respond. So people have a sense of, of what to, how they can be a helpful, positive, encouraging part. So they notice when that caregiver needs a break and someone else has the skills and the comfort level to kind of come in and be part of a person with dementia while the, the family needs to slip out for a moment. I think that education piece is, is huge, um, but I also think it creates some challenges for families. Uh, a lot of times, you know, family caregivers are in the process of caregiving, and, and they've been really the primary caregiver. And I don't know who you are, but most family situations – if you have 10 brothers and sisters, it usually falls on one. It doesn't matter how big or small your fa- family is. So then all of a sudden you have families swooping in from out of town that have all these ideas about how to do things differently with mom and what you're not doing right. That really sets a caregiver up for a lot of stress and, and um, resentfulness. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it's amazing how many people who aren't involved have opinions. Um, and, and not trying to be... Um, unha- trying to be helpful, you know, trying to come in and say, oh, well, why don't you try this, or could you do that, or what if you did that? And the person who's in the caregiving role is just trying to get through the day. 
Well, and, and, I th- and I think, Melanie, you know, the education as well, and what I've experienced through the years and I've heard families anecdotally talk about is that the loved one has sort of this base level of ability. But then when family comes in, somehow they perk up. And then family says, they're not as bad as you said they were. And then once family leaves, everything falls apart even worse because that person's exha- exhausted from propping themselves up. How, how do you help with that? Well, and, and part of it is that chemical and structural changes are part of dementia. And the, the structural t- changes, that's kind of a one-way street, but those chemical changes, um, they fluctuate. And so I had a daughter tell me, I want the mother my sister gets. You know, my sister comes in, and mom is charming, and she's friendly, and everything goes really well, and then my sister leaves, and I have to pick up the pieces. And right. so that's when building... Um, a network and building a community and building a team where you have someone safe you can talk with about how frustrating and painful that is. Um, That's why I'm such a big proponent of support groups. And I'm such a big proponent of of having a place to go for support, for resources, where people get it and they understand what it's like to have somebody with dementia in your life. So, Melanie, we have families that are struggling with that peak, that rally that happens with families coming in together, um, that surge of energy, maybe heightened improvement on the part of the patient or the loved one, followed by kind of a trough, a period of recovery. And uh, we're, we're going to take a break here in just a second, but when you come back, I'd really like for us to explore the, the rest of the letters uh, in that acronym piece that you brought up earlier, and, and, and let's see if that will help our families navigate some things. I'll look forward to it. Thank you very much, Melanie. Uh, Breaking back, you're listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. Find them online at transitionslifecare.org. And we'll continue our conversation with Melanie Bunn in just a bit. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back. You're listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Jason Kong in for Scott Fitzgerald this week. And with us, as always, is Cooper Linton and Nicole Bruno. And Cooper and Nicole, we've got Melanie Bunn with us on the line today. Melanie, before we went on break, we were talking about your acronym for helping families navigate uh, the holidays, and you were using the word peace, P-E-A-C-E, and we were kind of walking through what each one of those letters meant, and I was hoping you'd explore more. Let's start in with C. I think that's where we left off. Could you walk us through that? Right, and C stands for capture, and, and capture means record the past and record the present, um, and capturing some of those moments that are beautiful about this holiday, about this time that we're spending together. But also holidays bring up a lot of memories and a lot of nostalgia and reminiscing. And so it's a really wonderful time to hear about experiences from that person's early childhood with holidays or when when you were a young child with your parents and telling those stories and looking at old photographs and um, movies can really trigger some lovely, meaningful memories that sometimes can bring out parts of the person with dementia that we may not have seen in a while. Um, Having children around to share that and to find the precious relationship between the grandparent and the parent or the parent and the children um, and the siblings 
And it doesn't have to be formal. It can be, and sometimes they're even more beautiful when they're casual. I think that's uh, a great. I think that's a great idea, Melanie. You know, there's a lot of really interesting software out there to help people even do digital scrapbooks these days. You know, if if you're sitting there with a loved one and they're sharing a story, you can record that and tag that to a photo that they happen to be looking at, where they remember a story of something funny that happened. And I've seen families do that, and um, and I and I think those are some of the things they really treasure the most when they pass on. Nicole, I think it's particularly important as we have. Uh, families that are so dispersed. So it's very difficult to share a physical scrapbook. Um, But if we can create digital capturings, then we can move that around to wherever people are. Melanie, your thoughts? um, So many people have cell phones that can, they're very discreet. And it's not like we're setting up a big video camera. It can be done very candidly and very casually. So it's not distracting. It's not something formal and distracting. It's something that's very much part of the moment. You know, and I'm sitting here looking across at Jason, who's filling in for Scott Fitzgerald today, doing a great, great job for us. And, you know, he doesn't have any direct caregiving-related experiences. And I remember a time when I was in college and I got placed in a nursing home for my internship, and I thought, what in the world? I had no ill family members, and I just felt like I was put on planet Mars. Um, But one of the assignments they gave us was actually to do a genogram and to interview your elderly family members to find out some history. And I actually happened upon that the other day, and had I not done that, I wouldn't know some of the very interesting things about the past that happened with my loved ones. And, it, and you know, I'm looking at Jason thinking to myself, you know, that's a, a fun thing to do with loved ones even before they start showing cognitive impairment or decline. All right, forgive me. I'm the ignorant one in the room. What is a genogram? <laughs> So a genogram is basically uh, almost like doing genealogy, but you go through and you interview family members and find out what great-grandparents did or great-great-grandparents did, great-aunts and uncles, people you may not have met or only have an inkling of a memory of as they passed when you were really young. And and just getting not just the genealogy, but the stories behind how they got to this country or what they did in their early years. And I mean, I found out, my gosh, my name is a fraud. I had a completely different last name uh, about 150 years ago when my great-great-great-great-grandfather came to the United States from Italy, met a banker, and took his name because he was afraid he was going to go back over to Italy if he kept his own name. Yeah, and that's something that now with apps and smartphones that you could very easily record and keep, and that's that's just some invaluable uh, family nostalgia that you could have, and that, that that's a, a tool available to everyone. Capturing that family narrative. Now, we still have one letter left, Melanie. I'm assuming that we spell peace the same way. There's an (laughs) E on the end of this? And it's one of the most important, and it's just enjoy. It's just let go of all the rules. Let go of all the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Don't get so involved with the plans and logistics that you forget to really experience the time and the event. Um, It might not be the way it used to be, the way you would choose for it to be. But you can still find those magical moments and still still find those those times of connection. But you have to be willing to let go of some of the stuff and just be part of it. And so just enjoy the time you've got with this person. So, Melanie, from a personal perspective, what we found is we would often do a holiday dinner, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's, in the facility that my mother was in. 
and that was a, a pretty big event for her and for the family. But that meant we no longer did a a blowout Christmas dinner at our house anymore. There wasn't a need for it. And by the time we'd finished doing everything at the facility, we we spent time because it takes a lot of energy to do this sort of thing and get your loved one up and and spend the time with them. And we got home and we weren't we had to adjust our traditions a little bit because we weren't prepared to come home and then do a a giant Christmas dinner. And it took us a little time to figure out that, you know, that's really okay. We don't have to have a blowout Christmas dinner. Uh, We had one already, and we don't need to do it the same way all the time. We've got to adjust our traditions enough that we can actually enjoy the new ones. Exactly, because if you don't let go of some of those rules, you know, if you don't let go of some of those, we always or we never, then you can't really truly enjoy the moment that you have together. And that's when there's magical moments. That's when the lights come on and you're, you're singing a hymn as a family, you're singing a carol as a family, or, you know, someone comes out with, I remember, and the next one, I remember, and I remember. And, and those are the precious moments that you don't want to miss. And so the idea of kind of prioritizing educating, adjusting, capturing, and then critically important, enjoying the moment with this person. That's what makes the holidays special. You know, Melanie, I I really like to circle back to a really big issue that I hear over and over and over again with families is is really dealing with that resentment, Um, either resentment for having to be a caregiver when maybe that relationship wasn't what it could have, should have, would have been at growing up, um, resentment towards other family members for not pitching in. H- how can we help families? Because inevitably people are going to be bumping up against each other around the holiday season or people just start thinking about each other when normally they can kind of stuff them in a box in their minds. How do we help people deal with that during the holiday season? You know, if I had the answer to that, I would be the world's most wonderful support group facilitator. Well, I think you probably are. <laughs> so, so, so give it a stab. <laughs> well, I think, I think you know, part of it is kind of taking care of yourself so you're, so you're at your best to be able to deal with that. You know, so you've had enough sleep, you, you've had enough to eat, you've gotten some exercise, some time alone. So when that person comes and they start digging at you, you're not sleep-deprived and hungry and, you know, already irritable. You know, so kind of putting yourself in, in the best place kind of physically to start with, I think is one thing to do. The other thing is deep breathing and let it go. Um, I, I, my, my dad used to say, um, don't lower yourself to anybody else's level. And so just because that person's being hard to get along with doesn't mean I have to be that way as well. So, so letting go of that can be um, hard to do, but really important. And the other thing I think makes a big difference is the use of humor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that person starts saying, you know, what you should do is this and this and this, and to use some humor and say, you know, what I should do is win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's you def- find a way. That's definitely very valid. <laughs> humor, humor is huge, and we don't use any of that on this show at all. 
<laughs> I can tell. Y'all are just very, very solemn people. Well, Melanie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Again, this is Melanie Bunn, and she's a dementia training specialist for Alzheimer's North Carolina, and you can reach them at 919-832-3732 or ALZ. NC.org, and that is an amazing organization that has a whole host of information to support you as a caregiver when working with an individual with Alzheimer's or related dementia. Well, thank you very much, Melanie. Uh, we really appreciate having you on the program. And uh, we'll continue our discussion on providing uh, care over the holidays, and we'll shift that focus over to mental health when we have Missy Stancil in the studio here coming up. You're listening to Ion Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Ion Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. And today we're having a discussion on uh, caregiving over the holidays. And uh, Cooper and Nicole, we've got a, a guest with us here in the studio. We do. We are uh, graced to have Missy Stansel. She is the Regional Director for CareNet Counseling. And the first question that came to mind when I was introduced to Missy a while back is, what is CareNet and why am I just now finding out about them? (laughs) So I'm assuming that I'm not the only one who wasn't aware about all the things that CareNet Counseling is able to do. And Missy, I was hoping that you would lift the veil for us a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you, Cooper. I'm happy to be here. What CareNet Counseling does is mainly provide outpatient mental health counseling. And what that means is we have a number of different types of clinicians who do counseling and psychotherapy for people with a wide range of issues. It may be depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, a major life change, coping with a career or a loss or grief. So we're generalists that work with people's mental health. That's one piece of what we do. We also do community education programs. It's really important from a mental health perspective for us to be able to raise the baseline knowledge in the community of what mental health and mental illness is. So we offer mental health first aid. We offer um, self-care programs. Whoa. Lots of good mental stuff. Mental health yeah. first aid. Now, when I think Let of me first slow aid, down. I think of my, of my 10-year-old falling in the driveway <laughs> and I'm supposed to patch him up. <laughs> what is mental health first aid? Great question and a wonderful comparison you made there. So in the same way that CPR first aid is, hey, how do I immediately assess how bad is the, dan- the danger and the injury and how do I get this person to where they need? Same thing for mental health first aid, only for mental health. So what you do is... Is this person developing a mental health crisis or a mental illness? How can I help them in the moment? How can I get them to the help they need? So let's just back up about a thousand steps because (laughs) I'm sorry. But um, mental health, psychotherapy, counseling, those are words that really make people – it's kind of like saying the word hospice – shudder and and kind of turn their backs and, and take 25 steps back. What's the stigma with all this and, and where are we in the country and, and why is it still such a bad word? Excellent point, Nicole. And that circles back around, I think, to Cooper's opening and why you may not have heard of us. So if you haven't needed mental health counseling, um, you may not have heard of the different um, ways that we that we work in the community. Uh, the stigma around mental health continues to be one of the 
primary barriers to care. You're not tough enough. Suck it up. Yes. So there is this myth and misinformation that somehow a mental health issue, whether it's depression, anxiety, et cetera, is weakness, which is completely not true. I mean, completely not true. It, it happens in that we all experience worry, right? We all experience sadness. Um, so there's kind of, that's a universal component of human experience. What all of us do not experience, although one in five of us do, is um, a clinically significant level of that. So is my sadness, my worry interfering with my ability to take care of my kids, take care of myself, able to go to work? If it's affecting those things, um, you may be experiencing a a, a mental, what we call a mental illness. So um, we think of mental illness in this way that I think for some people is scary. Axe murderer. <laughs> yes. So we we have this, particularly in terms of how media portrays it. Uh, this is a bit of a soapbox issue for me in terms of how the media portrays people with mental illness. Overwhelmingly, people with mental illness are not violent. In fact, people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of crimes than to be perpetrators of crimes. So those are things that they're in our culture in the same way that a lot of aspects of stereotypes are, and they're just not true. And it prevents people from getting the help they need, which is why we're out there trying to educate people. But it seems, you know, I mean, I have three small chick children, and I, and I know we're not here talking about kids, but just in general, it seems like everybody's kid or everybody's something is on a medication, an antidepressant. And so I'm wondering, and this is just a question for you, are you seeing the pendulum swing too far on the other side where people aren't being taught coping mechanisms to deal with things without medicines? Or are you truly a person who's, let's go medicine, let's go? I think you, you bring up a much larger issue that I'll speak maybe on behalf of myself and maybe not my organization. Um, it's my personal opinion. It's informed um, by a lot of training and, and research in that we seek medication usually um, for an easy fix. I don't fault people for wanting an easy fix. If, the, if exercise was a pill, we all would take it, right? <laughs> because we, we would be able to do it. Um, for a lot of aspects of mental health concerns, when you stop taking the medication, the symptoms return because you haven't dealt with the actual issue. So my personal philosophy there are certain mental illnesses the more se- more severe ones right, right, you th- that you're going you're absolutely going to need medication management you're going to need to coordinate that care like diabetes you don't go off your insulin correct, just because your symptoms correct. feel better correct so um that's going to be true for some of the more severe mental illnesses for um a lot of anxiety and depression sometimes i think of i think of medication as like your spotter at the gym like okay this is going to help me kind of lift more weight safely until i can do it myself mm-hmm. Um, I think when we work with root causes and when we approach mental health from a wellness perspective, the, the need for medication does reduce. So when we start to frame this in, in the context of caregiving, mm-hmm. I am I, I don't think folks are aware that mental health if, if it's we don't always realize that mental health issues stay with people as they age. And so if they had a significant mental health issue when they're 45, they probably still have it when they're 65 and when they're 75. And so this becomes not only an issue for them managing their life, but is now part of the the recipe of trying to be the caregiver for someone. And we've got to deal with not only the fact that they have the diabetes and the hypertension and that they're struggling with congestive heart failure, but there may also be an underlying mental health 
or mental illness issue. And then we're dealing with all the the polypharmacy issues, the multiple drug interactions that that dance into this. Absolutely. You have a chicken and egg kind of thing at this point. So did um, some of the mental illness cause some of the physical ailments? Did the physical ailments cause some of the mental illness? So uh, a majority of people with mental illness have co-occurring physical concerns, uh, an overwhelming majority. And when you say co-occurring, at the same time? Yes, correct. So a a person with um, depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder in many cases has another physical disorder, whether it is fibromyalgia, diabetes, etc. So, and we know a lot of the ways that we treat physical ailments can be hindered by a person's mental health. We think mm-hmm. we, we label them as non-compliant, um, which is a word that I think has a little judgment in there. Yeah, there's the unwillingness yeah. of non-compliance that as opposed to the lack of ability. It makes me a little uncomfortable, you know, when a lot of times it's more of if we had a holistic stance on, okay, what all is happening to this person and how can we support them so that they can be, become in compliance? So do you, Missy, work with a lot of actual caregivers? I mean, caregiving is immensely stressful. I've, I've been a personal caregiver twice in my life, and I swear, at the end of those, both of those caregiving journeys, I looked at myself in the mirror and barely recognized the person that I saw because I hadn't looked at myself in months and months. <laughs> and so, you know, how, how do you work with families during that caregiving journey, and, and, and what are you seeing from your side of things? From my side, I see the single greatest concern is a lack of self-care on behalf of the caregiver. For both the people I serve, um, for my family members who have been caregivers, it is this long list of stuff they they are responsible for every day, and they're not anywhere on it, their own health. And so much of themselves gets sacrificed, and it is really hard to... um, to provide space for that to become a priority for the person. It is the single greatest concern in, in what I experienced in terms of a person's ability to sustain a caregiving role. Mm-hmm. Are they taking care of themselves? And this becomes particularly challenging in the holiday season. Yes. And so we'll be coming back in just a few moments. Uh, and I'd like for us to explore how all these pieces uh, come to somewhat of an apex around, uh, around the holiday season. All right. Uh, You're listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. We'll continue our conversation with Missy Stancil here with uh, Cooper and Nicole as well. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which is formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.com, and you're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. We've got Cooper Linton and Nicole Bruno, as always, with us here on uh, Eye on Health, and we've also got Missy Stancil on with us as a guest here, and we're discussing mental health. So, Missy, before we went on break, we were talking about caregivers being able to sustain themselves. Uh, And I think that becomes particularly challenging when you start looking at the holidays because there's such pressure. There's expectations. uh, The history of expectations in someone's own mind, what they feel like they have to live up to. And how do we wrap mental health, holidays, caregiving, all of this into one bundle? 
such a great question. I, the image that comes to mind that I can share that I think is very efficient is if you have a mason jar and you fill it with rice to the top and you have a number of stones, a number of rocks, you're not going to be able to fit them in after you put the rice in. If you pour that rice out, you put the stones in the bottom of that mason jar and you pour the rice in, it will all fit. That is how I want to help people take care of themselves as caregivers. You have to do it first. The big rocks go in first. The big rocks go in first. The big rocks are enough sleep, appropriate diet, time by yourself, or whatever it is that feeds you. For Sometimes it may be time with your kids or time in nature. There's a million do you ways. you have kids? I do not it's have It's not time kids. with your kids. Okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you're doing right. and the it time what you're your doing. Kids. Sometimes is the world's um, greatest. Absolutely. So, yes, okay. Um, but something that takes care of you. That takes care of you. It it has to be first, and that is so jarring. I think to the caregiver spirit to say, "But I can't put myself first. I have to put my loved one first. And that shift within us to say, "By putting myself and my health first, I am putting my my loved one first. That is such an internal shift. And there's so much pressure around us to say that's selfish. That's um, you're not being a good caregiver. How did you see so and so? They like were out to eat, and their loved one is at home. I mean, we hear that, right? When really, you may become the best caregiver you can by taking care of yourself, by going and grabbing a meal by yourself, etc. Yeah. Another analogy that I've heard for that that I think works is put your oxygen on first. Absolutely. You know, when you're on the airplane and they say the little bag drops out of the ceiling, which supposedly has oxygen, and we all hope it does, and you're supposed to put it on yourself first so that you're able to then care for the other people with you that are dependent upon you. And I think we forget to do that. Absolutely. And what I find over and over again is that it's shame that keeps people from doing that. Hmm. Like we know to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. But there's some level, whether it's societal pressure, family pressure, internal pressure, of I feel guilty if I enjoy something for myself when I'm a caregiver. So we alluded to something in the earlier segment today with uh, Melanie Bunn uh, about how sometimes you find yourself in a position of caregiving for someone who may not have been the ideal person for you when you were growing up. And I can well imagine that you've had some experience with trying to help these people get through the fact that maybe mom or dad was not the ideal parents and they have no money to place them somewhere or do something in a different way and now they're faced with either turning their backs and letting them live in a deplorable situation or actually having to provide care when somebody was not a true caregiver to them as a child. Talk to us a little bit about that and how you help people and separate that and tease through it and, 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 and survive that. Such an important topic and something that's far more common than I think most of us realize. We have a lot of individuals who experience trauma as children um, in their homes, whether that is childhood sexual assault, emotional abuse, physical abuse. Um, and then 60 years down the road, they're in a position where they're taking care of that person. The, in another circumstance, we would use the term abuser, right, if we were talking in legal terms. In this, in this circumstance, it's their dad. It's their mom. And that is an entirely different level of complexity. What I encourage people to do If possible, um, be in therapy yourself in that circumstance. Um, Make that a priority for yourself. 
because the type of issues and concerns and distress that's going to surface are, are going to be overwhelming for one person. Um, there's, there's not a way to do that without some formal assistance, and particularly in that circumstance. So I really encourage people to be in therapy for themselves if that's their circumstance. And th- th- this, is a do- this is a two-edged sword um, because there's, there's sadness in knowing, actually, this is kind of common. You're not the only one. But maybe some sense of affirmation that you're not the only one. This is happening to other people. people you can reach out for help. Well, and I think to those listening who may be observing someone who's in a caregiving situation and thinking, geez, they don't seem to be as warm and friendly with that loved one or they don't seem to be, you know, doing things the way I would do them if they were my mom or dad. Try to remember and and don't assume, obviously, that it was an abusive situation, but there are skeletons in every closet. There is no such thing as a totally functional family. And so... Try to not judge, and I think that's a gift that we can give each other. Try not to judge and try to walk a mile in their moccasins, as they say, and and imagine that there probably is a reason why this person is dealing with it the way they are, and it's probably the best that they can. I think sometimes there's a tendency to stage the holidays, and we want to think Mm. about the holidays in some sort of sepia-toned picture of our family. In reality, human interactions are messy. The best human interactions are messy, and we forget to give ourselves the freedom to say this can be messy and wonderful, and we don't have to have some Norman Rockwell moment. We don't have the circumstances to have a Norman Rockwell moment when you have all these challenges of whether it's dementia or mental health illness and holidays and families coming in. Is giving that caregiver the freedom, to your, to your point earlier, Missy, to just to be oneself, Absolutely. I, I think the, the clinical term we use there is expectation management. And it's, it's a set of skills that you cultivate over time to manage your expectations, to be aware of them first. What are my expectations? Um, how realistic are they? How am I going to feel if, they're, you know, if they don't come to fruition? And kind of the antidote to um, unreasonable expectations and consistent disappointment is present tense living. And that is that is really hard to do in a caregiving situation. You may be stuck in the past or the future. What will it be when they're gone? What was it like before they got sick? It is so hard to be in the present. Waiting but, for the next illness to happen, waiting for the next the, yeah. the next ER visit, and at the same time, living in the now. Living in the now, antidote to that expectation management. I'd like to shift gears and just lift the veil on another topic that perhaps we may need to do another show on because I know it's huge, but it has to do with really silent suffering of older adults in mental illness and the fact that they're one of the leading causes or leading groups of people that commit suicide. Wonderful point. Again, that, that is like a whole, mm-hmm. um, a whole show. Um, know that an expectation that your mental health will just decline over time is not true. But it, why not? They, they should be sad. They, their loved ones died, and it's normal to be sad and depressed and isolate yourself, isn't it? I think, I think sadness, <laughs> well, right? That's the misconception. But that's, yeah. but that, that, the, the misconception is, oh, this is normal. Like people who are, are you know, become sad. But, that, um, but that's not true. People um, can have excellent mental health even through illness. Now, not a sense of judgment if they don't, but the two things we are concerned about, we are concerned about suicide. We are concerned about substance abuse. Yeah, and, that's huge too. In, in older show adults. Up at the holidays. And, mm-hmm. and, and Particularly the substance abuse the doesn't holidays. help the holidays. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the holidays. So, 
again, I encourage people to have that conversation. If you can't have it with a member of your family, find a professional person that you can have it with to give you some insight and support. And that's where CareNet really steps up as an option is to to be that uh, opportunity for for professional support. We do want to remind folks that they can reach um, the folks that Missy Stancil represents, where she's the regional director of CareNet Counseling. They can be reached at 910-897-8930 or 24 hours a day. You can contact their organization through their website at carenetcentralregion.org, carenetcentralregion.org. All right. Yeah, you've been listening to Ion Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which is formerly Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. Missy, thank you so much for joining us on the program. It was a fa- fascinating conversation. Thank and, you. My uh, pleasure. Absolutely. And Cooper and Nicole, thank you as well. Glad to be here. And uh, if you missed any part of this program, you can go on to WPTF.com and you can uh, go back and listen to the whole episode. Or you can also share it with a friend as it's uh, an important time, I think, to be doing that. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF.